The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. Everybody, I am in the waning hours of my time here in the Garden State. Pat has already hit the road. Ed left the road before the game ended in the Rutgers game, but we're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about the Virginia Tech Rutgers game in Piscataway. Final score was Virginia Tech 16, Rutgers 35. And look, it was a beautiful day in Piscataway. The sun was shining. The sun's. We're tailgating. Everything was buzzing. Fantastic day. And then such a familiar, familiar feeling. Great tailgate. Great friendship. Great vibes. Virginia Tech dug itself into a 21-3 hole that was simply too deep to crawl out of, even though the team did settle in and tried to crawl back in the second half of this football game. And as we always do, first and foremost, joined by Ed and Pat. For those of you not watching on the YouTube, if you are watching on the YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel. Patrick, kick us off with some poetry. Hokie Haiku presented by me today, reading it. (laughs) Submitted by Andrew Mitchell. We're We're getting a... A Hokie Haiku submitted from two time zones away up in Colorado Springs. He says, Kyron, QB1, stop the run to stop the pain. Injuries hurt us. That's it. It's a good haiku. We can spend a little bit of time talking about the tailgate, the weather, the day, because it was unbelievable. Talk about the weather. Absolutely astounding. And I, we have to say... Shout out to every single human being who uh, registered and showed up for this game through the Sons of Saturday tailgate. We were blown away by the participation um, and the kind words from everybody. It was really, really cool. We will be doing this again. We already have a date circled, so just keep that keep that in mind for next year. Um, and shout out to every Hokie that made the trip. I mean, what would you guys say? Was the stadium about 10, 12 15 got loud a couple of times. It got loud to the point where the entire Rutgers student section started booing because the Hokies were so loud. What unit are you referring to when you say 10, 12, 15? Are we talking percent? Thousands, percent. percent? Okay. Percent. Percent. That is the unit. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Maybe more. It's kind of hard to tell because like our section was so many Virginia Tech people, but yeah, probably 10%. That sounds fair. Came out with droves. Before we talk about the game atmosphere, we would be so remiss if we didn't talk about the boardwalk. And Pat, I know you were really passionate about talking about this. We're all passionate about talking about this. Because uh, the only comp that we have is Hokie Village, which is great. Hokie Village is nice. You bring the kids, go down the slide. Um, 
But Rutgers really bridged the gap between I want to bring my kids there and I also would like to go there and crush a few beers. Yeah, very um, solidly located. So essentially you have you walk through this banner. I guess we'll even back up. We'll zoom out a little bit. I got some good tailgating lots at Rutgers too. The yellow lot and the red lot. I mean, you look and you see what seemed to be a hundred, close to a hundred flagpoles uh, with the American flag and, you know, their Rutgers flag and all that stuff. Um, it, it was a scene. Like I've never, I haven't seen a tailgate scene like that in a long time on the road, um, which is not what I expected. Right. Um, that was great. The actual boardwalk, you walk under this banner, you get into the boardwalk and it's like on your way to the stadium and it's probably, you know, two football fields long, maybe bigger of food trucks everywhere. And they have a, a DJ playing music. Um, they have a massive Ferris wheel, pretty much giving you the idea uh, that you are at the Jersey shore. Uh, they, they lean into the New Jersey branding, you know, and as one should, why would they not? They are the flagship program in the state of New Jersey. Um, but I thought that was really cool, you know, and they also have the Miller Lite uh, beer garden and the DJs like, guys, the drinks are flowing in the Miller Lite beer garden. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, this is cool. They're giving out a ton of free food, and all these different boots. Um, so that was pretty cool. And I, w- I would love to, uh, I-, I have not been to Hokie Village, admittedly. Uh, would love to check out Hokie Village. See, hey, you know, what can we steal? What kind of ideas can we steal and implement at Hokie Village? I'm sure a Miller Lite beer garden uh, would be a good idea, but not Miller Lite PBR, of course. Uh, what did you think, Bill? Any any other uh, any other add-ons there from the boardwalk? No, the boardwalk was great, and I just want to reiterate what you said. I was really impressed with Rutgers tailgating uh, atmosphere, and I know again a lot of people that weren't at the game will probably scoff at that. Um, we bounced around, saw some Rutgers tailgates, a lot of ribs, a lot of barbecuing, uh, a lot of cool props, fishing poles with Rutgers uh, helmets on it. You know, a, a ton of American flags. That was one thing that really stood out there. Everybody had a flagpole at their uh, at their tailgate. Um, but and I know this kind of transfers into the atmosphere of the general game. Um, really more passionate than I expected fan base and a great group of people i didn't really have any poor interactions with anybody they, they were into the game for all four quarters obviously they played really well um scarlet out looked great stands were red i love the barn vibe of the stadium i'm big on when i go to your stadium this is why i hate the nfl because there are only three or four stadiums that are vastly different than everyone else when i go to your stadium i love that it has its own feel and Rutgers very much gives off a red barn feel the entire all the scaffolding is red you got the huge american flag with the number 52 flag for eric legrand in the end zone um but uh i I was i I left that game saying that sucked and i'm very impressed with uh with rucker's fan base yeah i don't have much to add to that yeah I, i was better than i thought it would be the boardwalk thing was cool uh you know you look to your left and there's Food trucks. He looked to your right, and there's more food trucks. He look ahead, and Willie Cranick smoking a cigar, walking into the stadium. So uh, the vibes were super high, and uh, the tailgating across the board from where we were 
you know, on our, I think we had like a mile walk probably mm-hmm. uh, to get to it the stadium. Long. You know, everybody was having a good time and it was a much better football atmosphere than I had anticipated. I want to save the, I want to save the siren because I know you guys have, you guys oh. have the siren here in atmosphere, but I, w- I want to save that later. Um, as far as other uh, observations from the game, the DJ was awesome. Like yeah. the, his attentiveness during the game, there was Bruce Springsteen, there was Avicii, there was Bon Jovi, there was Journey. Um, it was very much Northeast going to a bar feel. Like there was football going on, but if you just go with your kids and you're looking to have like, I know it wasn't like a concert, but there was always something going on, whether it was something going on in the field, something, some Sopranos ripoff video that was on the video board. Um, they did a very good job of engagement uh, throughout the football game. Are there any other points before we talk about the actual football? So when are we going to talk about the horn? <laughs> we'll we'll save that for bad because I actually have a – I guess we could do it now. Pat, what is your, what is your take on the horn? The horn, the guy who is in the booth. I don't know if this is the DJ too. I don't know if they have a, a DJ and then a separate guy who just presses the play the horn button. Um, I, I mean, it, you probably heard it on TV. If you were there, it's the only thing you heard all day. <laughs> this train horn for any big play for Rutgers, whether it's a first down, a defensive stop, a turnover, a touchdown, you know, um, a timeout. <laughs> this train horn <laughs> was thought we were playing Purdue. Uh, I haven't yeah. been to a game at Purdue. I figure they have a train horn at Purdue. I feel like it might be more applicable at Purdue. Uh, very, very high concentration of train horns per minute at this football game. <laughs> um, my mom has not stopped talking about the train horn. <laughs> uh I don't know. I, you know, it, it would it would essentially be like us playing entertainment six times in one game. You know, you just maybe save the train horn for like once a quarter because they definitely hit their quota like really early uh, in this in this contest. That being said, it was memorable. I'm talking about it right now. I've been talking about it all day, and I'm sure most folks who were there also had uh, similar exchanges with their colleagues on this Monday. Yeah, I had this in the bad portion of of this uh podcast that was the worst stadium bit i've ever seen anywhere across all sports it was like oh second and four and alex ovechkin just scored a goal for the capitals like what are, what is with the <laughs> nhl goal horn 600 times a game like it was just, it was, too much. it was also like where we were sitting was very close to where the horn was so it was just super loud and i don't know I'm out on the horn. I can't imagine being in this in the their version of the yeah, of the south end zone. The I south, mean, that would have been out of control. Um, yeah, I, I will say, Skittles hitting you in the face. It was just this whole. Uh, like, oh my god, dude! Oh my gosh! I do. Dude, every time there was a big play, this moron would throw skit. He didn't like toss them in the air. He like threw them like a baseball at our section. So the third time he goes over there, I'm like, yo, stop doing that. Nobody likes this. Nobody likes this. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm trying to bring joy. I said, you're not. You're bringing pain. Stop. Stop doing it. He was apologetic. He didn't do it again. For clarity, these were not like individual Skittles. These were like packs. He was intending for people to probably enjoy a Skittle. 
but it was still no, a bit. Stop, don't do that. Not not a good prop. I don't. I, this is not a bit. This is not a zag. I liked the horn. If the horn played every time that we made, they did it too much over a timeout. Probably not. But yeah. I will take the horn over. It's third down every single time. And it you know what? Play. If you've had a cup, if you've had enough beverages in you. I mean, I would be in the stands just, I'd be doing that like nuts. But um, I'm sure if your team is winning and they're doing the horn, you would like it. It was loud. It was too much. Let's dive into this football game. Um, new segment. I'm calling it Sons of Stats. I'm just going to read a couple of stats that really jumped I off the like, page. So, I feel like, are, are, are we really calling this a new segment? We've been doing this like five football seasons now. We've definitely done Sons new, of Stats at some point. <laughs> new segment for 2023 that has been used before, but we're uh, we're not even rebranding it. We're just bringing it back because we haven't done it for the first time. There we go. Um, Virginia Tech won it. I, I, after the game, I said, you know what? Defense held up really well but they were on the field for a long time. They weren't. Hokies won in yardage. Hokies won in possession. And this is how you lost the football game. We lost the turnover battle. We lost the penalty battle. And we got absolutely dominated at the line of scrimmage. Could not stop the run. Could not run the ball ourselves. We averaged 3.3 yards per carry for 129 yards. They averaged seven and a half yards per carry for 256 yards. That's right. If they ran the ball twice, they would get a first down plus five yards. So not necessarily a, a recipe for success. Kyle Manungai, the running back, absolute beast. 16 carries for 143 yards, three touchdowns, 8.9 yards per carry. And I said coming into this game, and I got a lot of eyebrow raises and a lot of people saying, no way, no way, this guy's not that good. And he's not. He's not Lynn Bowden. But – his stat line was so, and the performance was so similar to what we saw in the Belk Bowl in 2019. Uh, if you remember in 2019, Bowden went 6.9 yards per attempt with two touchdowns, had 73 yards through the air and one passing touchdown. Wimsat had 7.9 yards per attempt with a touchdown rushing and 46 yards through the air and one touchdown. We knew he was one-dimensional. We knew what we had to do to win the football game. And at the end of the day, Rutgers just dominated this football game up front. And, and that's what happened. Any other? Lynn Bowden, very, very, very good comp. Munchie Legault uh, from the Cincinnati game at FedEx in 2012. Could also have a similar comp. I just can't believe that we had the ball for six minutes longer. And ran 21 more plays than Rutgers. Mm -hmm. um, sim simply astounding. Some more stats. We started 5 of 10 on third downs. Uh, we started 2 of 2 on fourth downs. We're going to talk about Kyron Jones later. But I, I was just um, – I, I wasn't necessarily – when you look at the box story, you look at the numbers – how did this team lose by 19 points, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was attributed to they scored right before half and got the ball back. They scored right at the beginning of the game after forcing the turnover. If you take those away. If you want to, if you want to call it forcing the turnover, I didn't even yeah, <laughs> it didn't just, just fell on the ball. 
but um, just not not much to say. <laughs> We're pretty upset. <laughs> we, yeah, we we had we had a lot of fun on Saturday, and we will continue to get on and talk about how much fun we have at these games, even when we lose, um, because yeah. otherwise this would be a pretty miserable thing. This whole Sunday mm-hmm. Saturday thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> transitioning let's talk about the bad the bad um two weeks in a row with a rough start um you start off the purdue game spotting purdue 17 points and essentially essentially one quarter of football and you're down 21 to three at halftime versus rutgers uh you had the fumble on the second play of the game which we just talked about it looked to be a bad mesh this is what happens when you're splitting time with quarterbacks and having them try to get the chemistry of the handoff and the zone read um and seems to be Kyron Jones wanted the ball. I believe it was Tootin that wanted the ball as well. Uh, ball ends up on the ground. Rutgers picks it up, scores two plays later. Um, one observation that I had uh, was the opening kickoff. They angled all of their kickoffs to the corners, the first kickoff especially, but I feel like there were multiple kickoffs where if you just let the ball go out of bounds, you're going to start with the ball on the 40 or 45-yard line. Uh, didn't take advantage of that. That's something... You see uh, Ole Miss does a really good job of that. Um, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Another bad, it's just how difficult it is to move the football. And, again, I'm not here to pontificate, but I will. All offseason, everybody is saying, stop playing Nick Gallo. Stop playing Nick Gallo. Let Daquan Wright play. Let Benji Gosnell play. Those two are going to be good players for Virginia Tech. I completely agree with you. But you're now seeing how much you miss somebody who knows where they're supposed to go, who is a difference maker in the run game, and that's the problem. You have an offensive line that really could use a Nick Gallo right now and um, just got absolutely dominated up front. And then if you want to flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, we continue to lack the ability – to keep contained, whether that responsibility falls on the defensive ends, whether that responsibility falls on the linebacking core who had a really rough Saturday, or if it's on the safeties or the corners, if there's some sort of stunt going on. I mean, the backbreaking play of the game on third and one five point game ball is on the Rutgers 46 yard line. They run motion on the long on the wide side of the field. The corner takes it. And then no one is home on the wide side of the field, 54 yards, untouched, blouses, game is over. These are things that have to be fixed, have to be fixed. You can get as many sacks as you want. You can get as much pressure as you want. But if you are letting people escape the pocket and you are letting people bounce the ball outside, it's none of it, none of it matters. And, um, you know, the defense who held up, I thought really well for three quarters, given the situation that they were in, um, I thought they played all right. They played pretty well given the situation, but you have these lapses, these breakdowns that just absolutely break your back. And Coach Fry talked about this in the post-game press conference. We're not the type of team that's going to be able to climb out of a 21 to three hole. We're not the type of team that's going to be able to light up the scoreboard and come back from 17, nothing. And you saw that on Saturday. Big plays, big plays from Rutgers. And it's like 2018, our run defense from 2018. I mean, we talked about the Abanacanda game. Pete B talked about Abanacanda actually in his uh, pregame hype speech, <laughs> which uh, 
that, that was hilarious. But um, you cannot limit the big play. They only had 11 rushing first downs all game. And considering they only had 14 total and two of them were from penalties, like this offense was not a juggernaut at all. We need to figure out how we can limit the big play. I mean, the amount of touchdowns or big plays that they had where um, Wimsat and the guy with the hard-to-pronounce last name went for 30-plus yards untouched Yeah, is mm-hmm. just drawing a lot of concern. You know, I think a couple of things that also were left unaccounted for here. So in the fourth quarter, Rutgers had 124 yards to Virginia Tech's 48. It just completely fell apart there. Rutgers was three for three on third down as well. Um, And Virginia Tech also had 30 yards of penalties in the fourth quarter. The last bad I want to point out, and I alluded to it before, was linebacker play. I will continue to point out this stat every single game that it happens because it matters and it is a reflection of how your front seven is playing or how your fits are going. Who led the team in tackles for Virginia Tech on Saturday? What I would like to see is linebackers, maybe one defensive lineman, and that's it. I don't want to see defensive backs leading the team in tackles week after week after week because what does that mean? That means that Rutgers is starting the play three yards on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Kelly Lawson led the entire team with tackles. I believe he had 11 or 14. He had, a, he had a solid game, which you would typically expect. The other leading tacklers are Canteen, Jones, Stroman, Ryland, and Phillips. So this means four out of your five leading tacklers, I'm sorry, four out of your six leading tacklers for Virginia Tech are in the secondary. It is completely unsustainable. If you're looking at the box score and you're saying, wow, Jalen Jones had a great game. Wow. Jalen Stroman had a great game. They did have a great game, but they shouldn't be put in a position where they need to make the tackle 25% of the game. And that's where Virginia Tech is right now. So, again, I think, Ed, I want you to elaborate on this because I think you did a really good job. When I left the game, I was I was really upset. And, you know, I gave myself 24 hours to think about it. And, and, and I think what we just talked about are the biggest issues. Um there are some good things to take away from this. I would just like to remind the fan base that we go through this exercise every single year where you get the schedule and you look at the schedule and you say, okay, win, win, win. In 99, we beat this team by 50 points. Well, back in, you know, we own Duke. We own Pitt. When you have years and years and years of negligence in recruiting, in funding, in staffing, and it compounds over time, it's just not that way. Because everybody walks out of that game and says, we just got dominated by Rutgers. Well, there's a reason that this, that this happens. And it's years and years and years of not giving certain places the love that it needs to get. And that's the hole that we have to crawl out of. But the days of Virginia Tech going in and just dominating teams because we're just better than you are, or we have a better brand than you are, that is not where Virginia Tech is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a combination of a couple of things. Like when I called you after the game, I, I said, this is not your mama's Rutgers. Like this is year four of Greg Schiano. You know, I would hope that we are leaps and bounds from where we are currently in year four of Brent Pry, like they are in year four of their rebuild under Greg Schiano. I mean, they 
absolutely dominated us physically on both offensive and defensive line, as you should in year four of a rebuild. You've got your guys in there and your weight program running your scheme for multiple, multiple years. Um, and it showed they completely dominated us. What was it, this, that eight yards per carry or something ridiculous like mm-hmm. that? So it's a combination of we're playing a lot of really young guys. They're playing a lot of guys who have been in Shiano's system for multiple years now. Um, so it, it, it really, like, yes, the brands are the brands, and you would expect to see Virginia Tech go into records and, you know, not get doubled up in points. But um, we're in completely different stages of our rebuild versus theirs right now. And do I think that they're going to go out and shock people in the Big Ten this year? No, probably not. But I think they're going to be competitive in most games, and they're going to play physical football. And quite frankly, we, we haven't done well with physicality, and it's because of where the state of both our our trenches rooms are right now is just a lot of inexperience or guys who are kind of just overmatched uh, in comparison to their Big Ten counterparts they played the last two weeks. And we, we've certainly see, seen at this point in college football where you don't need three, four, five years for a rebuild. Um, because of the transfer portal. And, you know, Mike Elko did some great things in the transfer portal. I, I mean, Duke is now a juggernaut, which is a crazy thing. Okay, that's not throw <laughs> a jugger, juggernaut is a pretty is a is a pretty large word. <laughs> Relative to Duke. I mean, we saw Duke juggernaut our butts off the field last year at Wallace Wade. We're lucky we don't play Duke this year. We're also lucky we don't mm-hmm. play Carolina. We're lucky we don't play Miami. We're pretty much missing all the good teams in the ACC this year other than Florida State. Uh, besides the point, Elko did a great job flipping his roster. Um, Sonny Dykes did the same thing. You know, <laughs> Coach Prime, I'm never, I'm not going to compare Virginia Tech and Colorado and Coach Prime at, uh, and and uh, Coach Pry. But, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas. Yeah. Um, you already said Sonny Dykes, but. The. Lack of attention on the offensive line when Joe Rudolph was here and not getting any offensive linemen out of the portal and not having enough depth at offensive line. And then the lack of, I know we were talking about this earlier, Billy, the lack of clean cut development from the interior defensive linemen as well. Getting APR out of the portal was a massive play for Coach Pry and and JC. Um, you know, guys like Pollard, Fuga, Kendricks, you know, they've been in the program for some time now, um, but would not necessarily call any of them difference makers on the interior defensive line. So other than it being still early in a rebuild and us digging ourselves out of a hole, there are areas that, you know, we, we can control development and we can control what we do inside of the transfer portal. And you know, would hope that we see that a little bit more this off season heading into next year. We're not writing off 2023. There's still a lot to learn about this team. I'm still excited about a few things about this team. I guess, does, does that make a good transition here to talk about the good? One more. Yeah. Let's all take a deep. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Ed. One more thing to, and I didn't look at this until right now, and this actually just blew my mind, to build off of my point about where Rutgers is and their rebuild and where we are. They had 21 guys register a tackle in the box score. 19 of them are upperclassmen. 19. Mm-hmm. So they had one freshman make one tackle and a sophomore make one tackle. Everybody else is a junior or senior. If you were to play that same exercise with Virginia Tech, and I was going to talk about this later, but um, I wrote this down earlier because it's mind-blowing. If you take Derek Canteen's tackle numbers out of the box score, freshmen out-tackled seniors for Virginia Tech 
true freshmen out tackled seniors for Virginia Tech on Saturday. If you keep Canteen in and just do upperclassmen versus lowerclassmen, lowerclassmen had more tackles than upperclassmen did for Virginia Tech on defense on Saturday. So it shows you where we are in our rebuild versus where they are. They had two tackles out of their 78 by underclassmen. We had 27 of our 53 by mm-hmm. underclassmen. We are in dramatically different places than Rutgers is right now in terms of our roster construction. And I think that that, that has to be talked about. I don't think it can just be, well, we lost to Rutgers. Well, yeah, we, we should. If you look at who's playing for them and who's playing for us in terms of experience and age and physicality, 27 of our 53 freshmen or sophomores. Yes, there's redshirting involved in there as well, but I don't really care about that. 76 of their 78 upperclassmen. That's a great point, Ed. I think that's the point we need to make going into the good, is that some of these guys who are very, very green are getting game experience that will benefit them later this year and will benefit them for the next few years. Absolutely. I think, you know, and Prize started to – he started to allude to it pretty early on um, in his press conferences throughout the year. I think, you know, starting right after the Old Dominion game was the first time I really heard him talk about it. I think he's talked about it every time he's had a mic in his face since – um, they need to get playable depth, and you have to do that by playing the young guys because that's what we have. We have a lot of young guys who are really talented, and guys we're all really excited about. Caleb Woodson, Kelly Lawson still young in terms of his development as a linebacker. Um, this weekend alone, true freshman Dante Levitt, Braylon Johnson, Caleb Woodson, Aiden Green, Takai uh, Heath all played. And then redshirt freshman Chaplin, Xavier Turner-Bradshaw, Benji Gosnell, Daquan Wright, we have a lot of really, really young guys playing football right now, and that's a good thing for the future of the program. All right. Transferring to the good. Let's get some good. good. Let's get some good vibes. Kyron Drones, I thought he played pretty well. I think you you have a guy in his first start for Virginia Tech going out there, and obviously we we weren't fired up about the early turnover that really put us in a hole, and – it was a here we go again. But at face value, drones, he looks the part. And he's he's a cool customer, as as Billy described Hendon Hooker four years ago on this podcast. 19 of 32, 190 yards, one touchdown, the early fumble, and then the interception into double coverage. A lot of conversation was: hey, can he pass the ball? Is he confident passing the ball? I had made comps to him kind of being similar to Quincy Patterson from a size, stature, athleticism, and struggling throwing. Um, I don't think he really struggles throwing the ball. I think he's confident throwing the ball. He can pass the ball. He can get it downfield. He can get it across the middle. He can get it through the sides. Um, is he going to have you know, some, some growing pains? in his first game as a Virginia tech quarterback. Yeah. Um, Is he also hampered by the fact that Jalen lane and Ollie Jennings and Nick Gallo are not out there? Yes. Um, But I don't think anyone in our fan base, you know, should be bummed about our quarterback position. I think everyone should be pretty excited to see how we can build on, you know, that afternoon and, and move forward here because, He's a talented dude. I think also the amount of times he was under duress and had to make things happen with his legs, even if that led to a pass, um, was really impressive. Look, 
I think he played his tails off his tail off. I don't think that you can watch that game and think anything else. He adds a ton to the run game as we all expected. Led the team with 74 yards on 22 carries. Now, I know you're going to say this, Ed, but you can't run the quarterback 22 times. You just you just can't do that unless it's going to be a completely one-dimensional offense. Um, but, you know, I, I'm interested to see him move the ball down the field. He had a couple of nice plays down the field. What, what I mean by that is not to kind of shift shift this and and put the crown onto somebody else, but I do want to I do want to see him cook down the field a little bit. 13 of uh, of our completions and 104 yards from uh 100 of our 104 of our passing yards came from passes that were 9 yards or less. Um so I do think that is the ability to move the ball down the field again his primary number one receiver was Daquan Felton. Um and he's you know hopefully we get Jalen Jalen Lane back here soon and the running game is going to make a huge difference for him as well. So um nothing but a uh, a lot of respect for how he approached the game under, you know, less than, less than formidable or less than reasonable uh, situations. Yeah. I, th- I thought he played really well. I mean, I, I walked out of there and one of the first things I thought was, okay, I want to see more of that. I want to see more Kyron drones. Um, but I also was thinking back to, you know, every other game that coach prize coached in his very short, obviously tenure so far for Virginia tech and I was like, was that the best quarterback performance under Coach Pry? Um, when you factor in what he did with his feet, I think probably. And I thought he threw the ball, like like Pat said, way better than I think we were led to believe he was capable of doing. Um, you have to also keep in mind, this is his first start in college uh, on the road against Rutgers um, in what was a better than we expected environment. So there was a lot of things going on. Obviously, you know, probably led to some jitters there on that first drive and the fumble. The pick was an ill-advised throw, but also a really good catch by the Rutgers. I think it was a linebacker who caught that. Um, but I thought he played really well. And, they, yeah, Billy, you you, you hit, off, hit the nail on the head there. You can't run the ball 22 times with your quarterback and expect him to be playing many games for you down the stretch. Um, Tootin and Thomas combined for 15 carry or 16 carries. Sorry, um, Those two guys are too good to only touch the ball 16 times and have your quarterback run 22. I think as Kyron Jones – plays more and gets more comfortable making those reads, he'll give the ball up more. Um, and we'll get to see Bishal Tootin in space. And as we've seen so far with him, when the few times that has happened, it's a really good thing at Virginia Tech. Um, but I, I would anticipate that as Jones plays more and gets more comfortable, uh, he'll keep the ball less and be more willing to defer to his running backs. But I thought he played really good. I, I, I saw a lot of signs of progress and uh, things to be you know excited about moving forward as the season progresses. Yeah, I was reading Chris Coleman's article, and he posed the question, was this the best game called by Tyler Bowen so far? And, you know, schematically, the fact that drones can get out of the pocket, he can throw on the run, and he is keeping the Rutgers front seven honest and their linebackers honest really allows us to open up the offense a little bit. You know, you have Tootin and Malachi who – didn't get the ball that much in the run game, but their yards per carry was certainly higher than it was last week against Purdue. Um, so it just gives, it just makes us less of a one-dimensional football team. And is does drones have a high ceiling? It, it would appear. Uh, does he have a long ways to go? It would also appear that. But I think ultimately everyone's pleased with how it went, and uh, you know we can go up from here and see what happens next week but um 
I guess that leads into the question. Uh, we could do that in, in, uh, in unanswerable questions. No, it's not even – no, because we can't put it in unanswerable questions because it shouldn't even be a question. Kyron Drones needs to start next week. I think. Yeah, I think <laughs> – like, you know. I think uh, Chris and Pat's point combined with my question that I posed, I guess, myself about, you know, where does this rank in quarterback performances under Pry and where does Bowen's play calling rank probably in his offensive coordinator tenure – both being, if not the best, up in you know the upper third of those various performances, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise considering Drone's skill set fits what the staff has said, both in word and action, with what they want the offense to look like. And in action, I mean, um, not to you know point the finger at Grant, but every other quarterback they brought in besides Grant, and even the guys that they have slated to come in that are committed to come to Virginia Tech. They all have that dual threat capability. Um, you've seen yeah, Davi Belfort, um, you know, a few years from now, hopefully Kelton Ryan comes here. Uh, but the guys that we've had that this staff has pursued through the portal, through high school, are all guys who can run, are all guys who can beat you with their feet. Um, and they they look and play like Kyron drones in terms of their ability to beat you both ways. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that both that the offense looked better. I mean, obviously, we only scored 16 points. You want to get, you want that number to go up. But um, in terms of total offense and time of possession, and you know, the things that we've gotten beaten pretty handedly at in previous games, all those things improved when you added that running element from the quarterback. And I thought Jones did a really good job, and so did Bowen. Yeah, and I do want to reiterate this point too. It wasn't as much that you know Grant Wells can throw the ball. Grant yeah. Wells didn't necessarily play himself out of the quarterback position. It's just that Kyron Jones' skill set is much more geared towards what I think ultimately will lead to this offense being successful, which is adding a run element that the defense has to respect. Um, yep. You know, so I do just want to make that point. Um, well, I know I, know I, I said this. Uh, I'm going to jump in just, just to put a bow on that. I know that um, there's speculation that Pry might start Grant next week, but I think it's more so just a, a gamesmanship type approach um, and, you know, keeping Marshall on their toes of who they need to prepare for. Um, I, yeah. I I don't think it would be great to see Grant go out there next week, especially when we could build on this. But uh, I, I truly am hoping that this is more so, a, you know, we're going to give him a, a fair shot and see how healthy Grant is. But, you know, he's going to be our backup guy and Drones is going to get get the nod. I have a message for gamesmanship, but I'm going to, I'm going to save that to the end. Um, tipping my cap to the defense. You know, I, we have put them in some really bad situations in this previous ball game. I mean, we just talked about the fact that we turned over the ball in the second play of the game. So Rutgers got the ball on the plus 19 just before half, they got the ball at the 50 yard line. And then that back breaking final score, they inherited the ball um, on the 46 yard line as well. So you know, you put the defense in a really, really difficult situation. Uh, I thought Daquan Felton played well. Didn't really have an option but to play well. I, I thought this was his best game as a Hokie. He had six catches for 84 yards, one touchdown, a crucial drop, really crucial drop in the third quarter. Um, that is on none of the rewatches. Um, we really got to – I don't know who the CEO of uh, Condensed Game is, but they they always leave out like two or three crucial plays. Thank you so much for showing all of the extra points, but you didn't show us two or three of the more important uh, plays in the ballgame. Um, and I'll finish this. Uh, this last thing I'll say too on the good. This is a constant from last year. It's a constant this year. People are probably sick of, of hearing it, but it's the truth. 
you're down 21 to three. Your plane got in at 10 p.m. The team didn't quit. The team fought all the way back to be down four points. I think that that is a reflection on the mentality and a reflection on, you know, kids being bought in and not letting go of the rope. Uh, again, it's not the result that you want to have at the end of the day, but you can't say that Rutgers came in and, you know, the team just completely quit and didn't care. Um, the team fought back. It just didn't end in a win. Um, now, this is not sustainable to fight your way back in games like this and not see it through. But I, I did want to allude to that, that the team indeed did fight, uh, did fight the entire way down. My last positive was that uh, at 35 to 16, it was indeed a Virginia Tech scorigami. So update your spreadsheets, boys and girls. Happy to hear yeah, that. Hey, did I, you have any? Yeah. My final one was that um, I want to see more Aiden Green. I thought he looked the part out there. This is the first time we've really actually thrown him the ball. He's played in every game, but this is the first time he's you know, kind of contributed two catches for 24 yards. Uh, he looked really good with the ball in his hands once he did catch. He'd catch like a short little bubble screen and take it for 12 yards. And um, I just want to see more of him because he's, again, another one of your young, really talented guys you're excited about. Uh, let's get that guy reps. Uh, I think he could be a really good player for us as the year progresses. This episode of the Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by the River Course. And look, we talk about greatness all the time. And when you talk about golf, Pebble Beach, Augusta, Bandon Dunes, dare I say Shinnecock. The River Course sits squarely in the middle of this conversation. A top 10 college course in America, according to Golf Digest, and the home for the For Those to Come golf tournament. And look, if you head on down there and you mention Sons of Saturday, we got some hookups for you. 50% off appetizers. Who doesn't like appetizers? 10% off of headwear and apparel at the golf shop. I mean, get yourself a new outfit, feel good, look good, play good. And the cream of the crop, new annual student memberships will receive a free cart fee and new adult memberships will receive a free foursome plus a complimentary lunch. The River Course, unparalleled greatness, unparalleled beauty, nestled right in Southwest Virginia. So... Moving on to unanswerable questions, I have no idea if this is going to work. Um, I've never done it before. I'm going to try. Let's see if this works. If you're on the YouTube, you'll be able to see this. Oh, oh it does work. Looks Producer good. Producer Billy Ray. So if you're on the YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If not, I will put this in the post-game write-up. I don't understand why Virginia Tech refuses to attack the middle of the field. When you have a quarterback who is young, inexperienced, and we have been told, this may not be true, that they struggle throwing the football, the hardest throw that you have to make as a quarterback is to the sideline. Um, you're not just throwing the ball down the field, but you are throwing the ball sideways. Um, the windows are usually uh, smaller. It's usually really, really reliant on timing, which – our quarterbacks are splitting time with starting wide receivers. So the spark notes on the graphic that I'm showing right now are in the middle of the field, Kyron Jones had a 90% completion percentage. He went for 80 yards. He's 52% and 108 yards coming outside of the hashes or to the sides, basically. 33% of those completions outside came from behind the line of scrimmage or within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So my question is, can we please find a way 
to primarily this is going to involve the tight ends and the wide receivers running slants. We have to find a way to get to the, the ball to the middle of the field. Um, I think we actually do have a couple of receivers that are good, like for 10 yard, move the sticks kind of guys. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of Gosnell. I'm thinking of Lofton. Like we, we have to find a way to exploit the middle of the field. Um, and it's just something that we have not done up until this point. Um, Pat, I have a very definitive answer to your, to the next question that you're about to ask. I'll just add, I think missing Jalen Lane really hurt there because he's done a good job catching the ball over the middle of the field uh, in the prior two games. So I think missing him uh, impacted that piece of it for sure. But, yeah, I would definitely love to see more uh, Daquan Wright, Benji Gosnell over the middle. Wow, this is a new view. Oh, Billy Ray. I'm trying to get us back. There, there we is. go. Um, Pat, pose your question because your dad asked me this question too, and I I gave him a pretty aggressive uh, response to this question. <laughs> <laughs> My question was, was it the right decision to go for two at 21 to 16, uh, 1350 or so left in the fourth quarter? Question, unquestionably, for, question for Ed. Unquestionably so. You are in the exact same position if you go for two and don't get it or if you kick the extra point. Um, if you do get the two-point conversion, you're down three points. Um, so I, I, to me, there, there's no question about it. It kind of brings up another point that kind of it's a little thing, but it's something that I noticed. Virginia Tech scores that touchdown. You cut it to a one score game. Team was like surprised that they scored. They weren't weren't <laughs> fired up. Weren't kind of. I was just kind of surprised by the by the body language. Um, and I pointed that out at the Purdue game. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think. I'm going for two every single time in a situation like that. You have no idea how many more times you're going to get a possession. Rutgers is doing a great job running the ball. Um, does it hurt your momentum a little bit if you don't get it? Sure. But if you really think about it, kicking the extra point does nothing for you. So um, I don't know if it was by de- design. I don't believe it was. Pocket, as it always does, collapses immediately. And uh, Kyron Jones has to roll out to his right. There's only one route available. It was covered up. Um, might have had a chance to get in if he wasn't tripped up by the uh, lineman. I think his name was Lewis or something. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going for two. I mean, mathematically, it's unquestionably the right call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The first thing I thought when we did it was, wow, I really wish we made that field goal in the first quarter. Um, oh but, <laughs> but yes, I mean, yes. Well, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, uh, you 21 to 17 is the same thing as 21 16. So there's, there's no reason not to go for two there. Coming down um, to the close here, I want to add one thing that we didn't get the chance to talk about. Um, and it's this is not an at at Pete B because I love Pete B. But I've seen he had a tweet that went out this uh, this morning, and I think a lot of the fan base feels this way. His tweet was, I'm getting increasingly annoyed with the dishonesty in the Hokies death chart. Multiple times we've seen guys listed as the one who were clearly not going to play or we find out pregame they won't despite never hearing a peep about it. I get gainsmanship, but don't lie. A couple things on this. First and foremost, fans don't deserve to know anything about the roster, about injuries, about player player situations, if they're available, if they're not available. Like you don't deserve to know that. It is not, it is not information that you are owed as a fan. And yes, gainsmanship goes a big part into this where you got to kind of make them stay honest and try to prepare for multiple people, even if they're not available with 
That said, as a coach, as a boss, as a parent, as a friend, when you set an expectation that something is going to be a certain way and you go out of your way to say it when you don't have to, you are going to be held accountable for that. The one example that I'll use is at the beginning of the season, pre-Grant Wells injury, the notion was we're going to have a two-quarterback system, they're both going to play in every single game, and they're both going to have an impact on the game. Tyron Jones came in for about 15 seconds in the Old Dominion game, didn't see the field in the Purdue game. So when you set an expectation that something is going to be a certain way and it's not, you unnecessarily open yourself up to qualms, anger, frustration from the people that you are talking with. I don't talk about him a lot on this podcast. Fuente caught a ton of heat all the time for not talking about availability, injuries, or anything else, but he just didn't talk about it. He didn't set the expectation that something was going to be a certain way. So, um, you know, no, fans don't deserve to know about the availability of players, the injuries, and everything else, but if you're going to go out of your way to say that something is going to be a certain way and it's not, there's going to be criticism. There's going to be backlash from that. So that is my take on on that. Yeah, I agree. Um, we don't need to know the status of a 20 year old's ankle. Sorry, mm-hmm. like you can watch yeah. them on Saturdays, but you don't need you don't get to know that information on a Tuesday afternoon. I mean, Mike Young. Mike Young did look. Nobody gave Mike Young trouble about it because everyone loves Mike Young. No, he was did. very. He, he well. I'm not going to yeah. use the stupid. I'm not going to use the stupid word, but people that don't deserve a ton of attention gave him a lot of flack for this. Like when Rodney Rice is hurt and you know he's not going to play, I'm still going to make the other team prepare for Rodney Rice. I'm still going to make them have to think about it and talk about it in drills and take up 10%, 15%, or even 3% of their practice and have to plan for it. That's yeah. just smart. That's just intelligent. That's just what you should do. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, like I said, you don't, we don't need to know the status of a, a 19 year old's broken toe. Sorry. Exactly. Um, I already made my point about, you know, we need to realize where Virginia Tech is and the hole that we're trying to grow out, uh, to crawl out of here. Matei put this out. I did just want to um, read it for everybody. So Virginia Tech played Saturday down both top wide receivers, injuries at linebacker, offensive line is green, playing new positions, out of position. Um, take that all into account. Injuries do happen. Rutgers was down their right tackle. Rutgers was down their top receiver, but it is part of the story. To act like it's not part of the story is not accurate. So that's just uh, that's just what I'll say on that. Pat, I know you have your point. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Personally, my opinion, I don't think that it's fair to the players on this roster to leave every single football game this year and say, well, we're just not good enough to compete. We're just not good enough to win these football games. Personally, I believe that the issues with this football team are we have a team that's learning how to win and we have a staff who transparently, this is not a dig, who transparently says they're learning the ins and outs of coaching in some regards. The entire program has a lot of work to do. Everybody wants to, we talked about this after Purdue, everybody wants to say after a football game, it's their fault. It's this's fault. This is what's wrong. We got a lot of work to do. We got a ton of work to do. And I think the benefit of this schedule that we play 
is we have plenty of data to see what kind of progress we're making. Are we going to be able to use the data from early October? No, because basically every team that we play for that stretch is going to be way more talented than we are, including Florida State. But against teams like Marshall, NC State, Syracuse, who's way better than I thought they would be, Wake Forest, UVA, Boston College, these are all teams that are on par with us from an athlete's perspective and a talent's perspective. So there is a ton of season left, Pat. I'm glad you said that at the top of the podcast. There are plenty of opportunities to learn more about this team, about the staff, and about the direction of the program. Do not lose your love and support and care for the school. That is what makes us so special. People can make fun of us for you guys are just an entrance. You guys show up for a subpar, um, a subpar product. But at the end of the day, that is what makes Virginia Tech so special and will make it so much when Virginia Tech does get to where they need to be. Great. Yeah, you kind of cut out there at the end. So it was like, I, I was like, did the connection lag? Was that me? Was it you? Um, my, brother, my brother's calling. Yeah. He just had kittens today. So I, I, I didn't know he was capable of doing that. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a talent thing making a 36 yard field goal, you know, in the first quarter, right? Think of how the game is different just from that from a momentum standpoint. Um, or just if the defense isn't on the field the entirety of the second half. Um, is it time to roll on the Pats blue ribbon? Yes. Okay. Pats Blue Ribbon of the Week. Our friends at Paps Blue Ribbon. We played Pittsburgh on the 30th. It's gonna be a night game. Do you know what that means? It means that it's going to be a long day of tailgating, but you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, do all your drinking out at the tailgate. There is an opportunity for you to go to the Benny's in Lane Stadium and enjoy a, a nice cold PBR with your slice of pizza. As you guys know, first you drink responsibly, obviously. Secondly, PBR is in one college football stadium in America, and that stadium is our stadium, Lane Stadium. So, Pat's Blue Ribbon of the Week. Until further notice, I am giving this award to the fans every single week until (laughs) someone gives me a reason to give it to someone else. And I'm also just going to get on here and sing the fans' praises every single week because – we're like Nebraska. We're like we're we're Nebraska East, where we have this unbelievable fan base, probably a top top ten percent, top five percent fan base, a fan base that deserves to see their team win, and uh, they're gonna get my blue ribbon for showing up by the thousand. They're packing it in Lane Stadium on September thirtieth for Pitt. They're gonna pack it for homecoming against Wake. We know they're gonna pack the Thursday night game against Syracuse, and then Senior Day. So a lot of football to watch in Lane Stadium this fall. And uh, I love our fan base and I love uh, this school. So let's let's uh, slap the ribbon on them this week. Letters from the lunch pail. I know we all got Rapid go. fire. Rapid, Rapid fire. fire. Stevie Bryce, where does this team find three more wins on the schedule after seeing all of our issues so far? Ed? I actually think we can win the next two if Kyron Jones starts. Um, which then parlays us into question number two from Steve Bryce, which is if Pry goes back to Wells, is it time to start questioning his competence? 
Um, I'm not going to question his competence, but I will. St- I think everybody in the fan base will uh, raise an eyebrow if Grant Wells trots out as the starting quarterback after seeing what Kyron Jones is capable of this past week. So uh, I, I definitely see a lot of questions. Again, that's not a slight at all to Grant Wells. It is Kyron's just the dynamic. Good. It is the dynamic that Kyron Jones brings to the field. That 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 is that is where that conversation goes. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, a last- it, it's a conversation that goes beyond Wells and Drones. It also is, hey, where are we if we actually have a running game? You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we turn the page to the play guys with the future in mind, um, one guy has more eligibility than the other one. That's another piece of this conversation as well. So get him more reps. Bonus question, does Colorado win more games than Virginia Tech and UVA combined this season? I'm really interested to see what happens to Colorado the next couple of weeks. Um, they've done a great job for three weeks. Travis Hunter is hurt. I bet on Colorado State to cover against Colorado, which they did this weekend. Uh, they play Oregon this upcoming week, and it's going to be a tremendous challenge. If I had to answer the question, though, I do think that they finish with more wins, and I think that's a little bit more of an indictment than uh, on Colorado getting a head start on us, and UVA is, 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 is horrible. They're really, really bad. Sharky shout-outs, Pat. Everyone who came out, uh, my mom described this very well. Happy birthday to my mother, by the way, September 18th. Pete B got up on the mic and said, hey, it's Pat's mom's birthday. Can everyone sing? And, you know, you had dozens of people singing to my mom, so that was fantastic. Pete B gets a shout-out because that guy just cracks me up, man. He uh, he is awesome at the tailgate, just having a great time, doing – the DJing had the speakers set up. I had the microphone set up. A lot of fun. My mom described this game day kind of like a wedding because I saw a lot of my family friends there. I saw people that I grew up with. I saw my friends from school. I saw my Sons of Saturday friends. It was kind of just like a, a culmination of um, my, all my dad's buddies were there. A lot of fun people in one space. Uh, big shout out to Aaron North and Ed Williams helping out with the t-shirt distribution. Uh, you guys did a great job. Aaron and Justin were cracking us up the whole time, but Ed, I tip my cap to you as well, my friend. Um, and then Rutgers women's basketball game, December 17th. We will be uh, circling the wagons, rowing the boats, you name it. Again, up in Piscataway for that game. Uh, we're going to reach out to their ticket office and do something similar. So stay tuned. And Vanderbilt next year, Labor Day weekend, same thing. Oh, you broke the news? Vanderbilt. That's an Easter <laughs> egg. The news. Uh, <laughs> that's going to happen. That needs yeah, that to happen. Gonna happen. I, th- I mean, the, uh, the Eric bar will be open the luke combs bar will be open by then it's it's gonna be a good time and then the last thing i'll add that's a shout out i got the notification right as we started pressing record was that the uh, virginia tech women's basketball tickets versus iowa for that game in charlotte are now on sale i got that email from virginia tech right at three o'clock when we started pressing record so sweet happy trails everybody got an announcement for a watch party for the uh, for the marshall game in atlanta got a special guest showing up to that keep the faith keep the love Keep the passion. Beat Marshall. Go Hokies. Reach out to you and say, write you some song from the world we created. Farther down we go, write you another one. 